Podcast. Hello and welcome to Robots in Your Eyes, a podcast looking at vintage cartoons through the eyes of people way older than the intended target audience, but still captivated by these glorified toy adverts that we love so much. I'm Jason Thompson. And I'm Stephen Alexander. Hi, Steve. Hiya, hiya, hiya. Uh, oh, I, I should also say, Kremzik! Not yet. Don't <laughs> jump the gun. <laughs> <laughs> I'll hold far on that then. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're not quite at Kremzik yet. We've got to start with The Gambler, written by Michael Charles Hill. Now, yeah. What you got about Michael Charles Hill, Steve? Uh, well, I looked it up in the in the usual places. You know exactly where we look up all our information because it's all handily presented for us on TF Wiki. Uh, apparently, he, this story was originally picked up for the Challenge of the GoBots. I, I, do you, have you seen that episode? Uh, I actually have, but not since it was like originally shown or very shown in the early runs in the nineteen eighties. So I have vague recollections of a similar episode of Challenge of the GoBots, but I haven't seen it recently. Yeah, apparently uh, there's an interview with him online as well, which is quite interesting to read. It's got a couple of background details I might mention as we go along. And this was his this was his chance to do this was a chance to do this episode of the Gambler properly and realise his artistic vision, <laughs> uh, so to speak. So, but obviously artistic visions are one thing, and the actual actualization of them is quite another. So, uh, yeah, how does how does this one start off? Well, this actually starts off, um, intriguingly, it follows directly on from the episode Child's Play. Although it was not shown directly after the episode Child's Play, nor was it put on the DVDs directly after Child's Play. So it does look a bit strange, but basically the Autobots who were in Child's Child's Play uh, are returning to Earth in their toy rocket which looks remarkably sophisticated on the inside because it has the usual Autobot control panels in orange and things like that, and computer controls, perfectly scaled for them to use. But uh, in the middle of space, their rocket suddenly comes to a halt. Yeah, you know what's happened. What's happened is the laws of physics and reality have suddenly noticed what Perceptor has done to that spaceship, and they're not having it. They're not having it. They're not having a toy spaceship that you can fly from one planet to another is a this this is not going to work and finally it stops working altogether yeah but the laws of physics then do a bunk anyway because of course when the rocket stops it stops which in space (laughs) (laughs) of course newton's first law of motion and all that all that but uh, but they are actually Captured by an even bigger spaceship, which presumably is not a toy. And uh, they've been captured by an alien captain named Bosch. Yeah. So this Bosch was named after, according to Michael uh, Charles Hill, was named after Hieronymus Bosch. Okay, fine. Fair enough. Nothing to do. This episode has nothing to do with Hieronymus Bosch, but never mind. And also some Bosch spark plugs that he happened to have lying around. <laughs> uh, so yeah, but then was Sparkplug also named after some Bosch spark plugs? Probably not. Also, uh, this scene really bugged me because the Autobots get taken captive and offer no resistance. They do nothing. They don't even introduce themselves. They just kind of passively walk with the guys who are pointing guns at them into what Perceptor recognises as a scientific laboratory, and by an amazing coincidence, happen to stand at exactly the right. Sp- places for some glass cylinders to come up and encase them completely yeah this is 
all these little details kind of add up, don't they? So he, they, they just go over there, they stand over and the glass tubes come down on them. And then we get introduced to Bosch, the captain of the freighter. And he's got like these, he's got these big pink eyes. He looks humanoid, but he's got these huge pink eyes. He's obviously rubs his eyes a lot because they're really, really quite disgusting looking. <laughs> and he's got brown armor and a big purple cape. Uh, what, did you, what, were your, what were your impressions of Bosch? Uh, he's a strange stock alien humanoid creature, which is basically a bloke in some funny clothes with some odd facial features to distinguish him from actual humans. Yeah. Um, but in terms of how he behaves, everyone, everyone else, all the other aliens we meet as well, are all very much humans. They just happen yeah. to be alien. And um, should note, they're all transformer-sized and not human-sized. Yes, they're much closer to the transformer sizes than, than humans are. They're all quite large. And uh, he presses a button and instant slaves. He deactivates the Autobots. An interesting bit of uh, expansion of the Transformers lore at this point because he intends to sell the Autobots in exchange for Energon to power his spacecraft. And I think this is the first time that we hear about Energon being used by anyone other than Transformers. Yeah, I, we've met a couple of aliens. Generally, the aliens we've met before have all been like monsters or weird aliens. We haven't met any alien races particularly, apart from Erin. Uh, was it Erin or Eris? Aaron? Aaron. Apart from Aaron, <laughs> still can't get his name right. And yeah, and, and obviously he was a kid, so he wasn't interested in Energon. But yeah, but these guys do seem to be on the Energon train. They, they're as addicted as Megatron is. Yeah, so Energon has now expanded from being something that the Decepticons want to use to being apparently some kind of galactically recognised um, thing, which is intriguing. Yeah, just use your Energon Express, accepted everywhere. Yes, indeed. Yeah. I, and the the animation also, I I think we should comment on the animation this time because it is bad. It is quite bad. It's like Inferno. I, the, the first thing I noticed is the Inferno is very bulky. He's put on a lot of weight since coming back from the other planet. He's, he's a lot bigger than he was and chunkier. Uh, and Smokescreen also seems to have a skirt hanging out the back of his uh, caboose. So they're, they're, everything, everything's just weird and not quite there. And and first, you know, the, the quality control seems to be very lacking on this episode. Yeah, it's not uh, it's not fantastic. It's not the highest end animation. Um, they seem to put more energy into animating the aliens than they do the Transformers. Yeah. But uh, Smokescreen's glass tube malfunctions, and so he is not immediately deactivated. And breaks out, but he's rapidly zapped by something that paralyzes him uh, so that Bosch can remove his gun. But at that point, Bosch hands, uh, walks over to a handy fruit machine that seems to be uh, sitting in his laboratory for no readily apparent reason, tries to gamble, loses, and he's annoyed because he's programmed it so he could cheat. Evidently, he didn't do a very good job because he's not winning, so... <laughs> Yes, but why Why does he have a gambling machine in his laboratory? And why did he decide that precise moment to start gambling? Why? Why? I, I, what is the point? Because it's on his ship. So the only thing it can have in it is anything that he's put in it to win. So it's not yeah. like he can win a prize. It's just the smugness of winning this fruit machine, which he's programmed to cheat anyway. So, ah. But anyway, he's a gambler. Smokescreen... Yes 
comes in with the, the gift of the gab here and says, oh, well, I, can, I can have a look at your machine. And he pulls a little wire thing out of his wrist, which plugs into the machine and somehow makes it work. Yes, oh. it works in his favour because he gets uh, three something or others <laughs> and scores the jackpot. Well, here we have the, uh, the, the oddity. These are, these are aliens and yet the symbols on their, um, on their gambling machines are uh, the standard playing card suits. I think we need to stop picking at specific things and saying they're odd. <laughs> the whole episode is odd. <laughs> Everything is just what what is going what is going on what is going on here. Anyway, yes. So Bosch is really excited by this, and he says, "Let's go break the bank at Monarchus." Monarchus, yes, not at all influenced by Monaco, I'm sure. Um, but yes, and he also conveniently, in a, in a pretty clumsy piece of dialogue, happens to mention that, oh, by the way, the tubes that your friends are in will be, that will also restore their free will as well as taking it away. So it's like, ah, okay, we can at least get them back. And then he shrinks them down. So having been tiny on a planet of giants <laughs> from where they just came from, he's now shrunk them down so that they're tiny in the normal world <laughs> as well. It's not going very well for Prime and his buddies today. No, they hardly get anything stored. Well, spoilers, they, they don't really they get their don't. free wheel back for ages. No, not until this the is, end. This is a smokescreen special episode. Yeah, it certainly I, is, yeah. which is why I think we said when we, were doing, when we did Child's Play, he seems that smokescreen sort of appears and disappears throughout Child's Play and doesn't actually contribute to the plot whatsoever, but because somebody's written a story that is smokescreen heavy and they've decided to put it ah we need them to be traveling through space wait a minute at the end of that episode they're traveling through space let's put it straight after that one but smokescreen's not in it well shove him in anyway (laughs) yeah but but literally any of the other transformers could have also been the star of this show you could have had inferno doing it or bumblebee that would have been fun it could have been anybody in cosmos (laughs) flying through space so yeah it could have been absolutely anybody but uh uh, especially as you know, as you, as you say, the four of them get immobilized, shrunk down, and don't really contribute to the plot at all. Really, yeah. Another interesting thing about this episode, though, it introduces this alien race, whatever Bosch belongs to. Uh, Bosch recognizes them as Autobots. Ah, ah, but but we see later more on this, which is makes it even more interesting. Yes, it gets more and more interesting. But Bosch recognizes Autobots which is yeah. intriguing because this is the first time we've seen any indication that anyone may know what the Transformers are that isn't on Cybertron or Earth. So intriguing. Yeah. And then he takes a smaller ship with smokescreen to Monarchus, alone apparently. So despite having a large private army of people on his ship, he leaves them all behind and zips off on a small ship. Yeah, we don't see that private army again. Despite nope. how useful they might have been, we don't see them again. No, but they land on Monarchus, which is supposedly an asteroid with a casino on it. Uh, and you see the lights of the city in the distance, and they land on a bit of rock. And Smokescreen says he never walks when he can drive, transforms. And Bosch tells him to head for the lights at the end of the tarmac. <laughs> yeah. The tarmac. tarmac. I, okay, so it's, I, I, it is a great-looking, rocky environment. I really like the way the planet looks, and I like yes. the way the city looks. But it is clearly a whole bunch of rock between there and the city. So, okay, yeah, whatever, whatever you're on about. Also, Smokescreen transforms into what must be an enormous car. 
because Bosch is transformer sized again. Oh, oh, size. Yeah. Just don't even think about size. Transformer sizes. No, forget it. Never mind. So they head off to this city, uh, but uh, Bosch isn't having much in the way of luck. Um, and he gets turned down because the, the guy he tries to impress with the Autobots in a little box uh, has enough robots that he's not interested in any more robots. Why does he want more robots? Uh, and he says he should go and see Asimov, which is a nice little shout out to a, to a sci-fi author. Yeah, and Asimov, uh, author of iRobot and lots of robot stories. But yeah. this guy, this guy they meet is clearly not a Transformers collector because no Transformers collector would say, "I've got so many robots, I don't need any more," would they? No, especially if that lot had Optimus Prime in it. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, it's got Optimus Prime. Yeah. Um. So, but this is odd because they say, "Oh, go and see Asimov," and then he says that just leaves us seeing Lord Gaikany as the only person we can possibly go and see. So obviously, Asimov is not of any interest. No, apparently not. But. Uh... They end up in the pit of destruction, but apparently 60 seconds in the pit with an animalian. Animalian. Wins you 100 Energon chips and your life, although apparently few leave with either. I like the animalians. That was the one with uh, the three cartoon characters from the Warner Brothers, wasn't it? Where you got uh, one of them's called Dot and there's the dip. What were the other two called? I've no idea, but I'm pretty sure you're thinking of the Animaniacs. <laughs> I am pretty sure I'm thinking of the Animaniacs, <laughs> aren't I? Uh, Dingo, Dipsy and Dot, the Animalians. Yeah, that's the series I remember. Yeah, okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> but uh, while they're there, they meet Slizardo, a weird reptile humanoid creature who joins the uh, pantheon of creatures in cartoons that speak total gibberish, but everyone can understand perfectly. Yeah, I, I like these also. He's kind of called Sleezardo sometimes. It's not it's, sometimes mm. it's Slizardo, but it's Sleaze because he's a very sleazy character, obviously. He's got one eye for some reason. Yeah. But uh, they, they, they are taken to Lord Gaikany and they offer the Autobots as collateral for a loan of Energon chips to go and yeah. gamble and, uh, and win more Energon. Yeah. Lord Gaikany is a huge blob of a character. He's got stupid fat lips and dark red eyebrows. I thought he looked a bit sort of He-Man, like a He-Man character in a way, because he had that sort of like, and probably because he's got a big belt. They made me think of He-Man. Yeah, he's got that kind of costuming influence going on. Um, I think he's very much based on Jabba the Hutt. Ah, yes. Yeah, very much so, yeah. Uh, intriguing side note i also i said earlier that bosch recognized the autobots guy can he also recognizes these things in his box as autobots but clearly they don't know individual autobots because none of them recognize optimus prime yeah who would be quite a catch wouldn't he yeah absolutely yeah. i mean can you imagine if megatron got wind of the fact that some alien on an asteroid has a miniaturized immobilized enslaved optimus prime yeah, and later on, he actually says, I think it's a couple of scenes later, he does mention that Megatron creams the top off all his gambling uh, nefarious business. So yeah. he, he knows Megatron, and he's he missed does. out on this this brilliant... Uh, well, I he, he gives Smokescreen and Bosch the most stupid deal I've ever heard of. So uh, what's he sell them for? It's like 500 Energon slips or something? It's a loan of 500 Energon chips at... Yeah. 500% I thought is it 500 or 100 energon chips at 500% interest yeah, payable within the hour. within the hour I like 
what are, what are you even doing? How does that make, even make uh, Anyway, no, never mind. No, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Smokescreen then shows that he has a gambling problem. <laughs> because Bosch, who is supposedly the gambler of the title of this episode, uh, points out that they've won more than enough energy on at this point. Smokescreen, what are you doing? I'm betting it all. And of course, this is the point where somebody in the casino notices that he's got the little wire that connects to the machine, yeah. pulls it off at just the wrong moment, and they lose everything. Yeah, it's these little sort of well, quite big Jawa creatures with the hoods and the glowing eyes. So actually, there's another Star Wars reference there, isn't it? Another there? Star Wars reference there, yeah. definitely. Um, yeah. But ah, uh, oh, it's only a gab- it's only a gambling problem if you lose. Well, he lost. So well, he did lose. So here's a gambling problem. Well done. He, lost. Well done, he bet everything and lost it all. Now he can't buy back his friends. Yep. Uh, and Gaiken, he says, well, the Autobots now belong to me. And he presses a button and the Autobots are supposedly, I guess, lowered on some kind of platform elevator to an underground storage area. But the animation at this point is so bad that they don't actually animate the uh, the floor being a lift. And they just seem to slide down a crack in the paving slabs. <laughs> Yes, with no regard for perspective or anything. They just sort of like slide sideways between dimensions. And yeah, it's, it's the worst animation we've seen since mm, the end of Child's Play, funnily enough. Well, hold on to your hats because it's not going to get any better. <laughs> hold on to your hats because somebody will put them in the wrong colour and then they'll fly off your head at a random moment. Anyway, yes, now carry on. Well... Now it turns out the Decepticons know of this place because Astro Train arrives with Dirge and Ramjet. Hooray, um, my favourites. And uh, they they walk up, they walk towards the city to see Lord Gaikany, apparently. So they know him. Uh, Ramjet says there's nothing but sand here. <laughs> and tarmac. Sand and tarmac, none of which are in evidence in the animation at all. <laughs> Monarchus, the land of sand and tarmac that we can't see for some reason. Yeah. But now things get really interesting because out from behind a rock appears a mysterious blue Autobot. He's recording a log and says he has tracked Astro Train, Dirge and Ramjet. So he knows these guys. Yeah, he's been tracking them across the galaxy. Has he been to Earth and spotted what's going on there? Because if he is a good tracker, he should have noticed Astro Train doing a lot of business around town. You would have thought so, yes. Yeah. But never mind. Bosch and Smokescreen are having a drink in a tavern because Transformers apparently sit around and drink. (laughs) Uh, Well, we've seen them drinking Energon. So maybe they can drink other things. Uh, Maybe they can. Maybe they can. But at this point, they meet uh, Devcon. He's our mysterious blue Autobot. Because, of course, Smokescreen recognises the Autobot logo and introduces himself. Yeah. Um, I I quite like that in the bar. I quite like just the concept of him seeing someone with the same logo and saying, hey, you're like me. It's very, um, yeah, it's like meeting somebody with the same hobby because they've got got an Autobot badge or a Doctor Who TARDIS badge or something. Yeah. I thought that was kind of cute. That is quite fun. Devcon has saved Slizardo, who was being uh, rough-handled by some of the um, rougher patrons of the bar. Devcon rescued him, and Slizardo immediately um, proclaimed his loyalty to Devcon, which is useful, because when the bad guy's right-hand man suddenly proclaims loyalty to your side, that's got to be helpful. 
Yeah, you're not going to turn them away. Uh, also, Devcon, just before this happens, Devcon says that he left Cybertron millions of years ago during the Great War when, and then they get interrupted. So we never find out what this, why he left Cybertron. And, and that's really irritatingly intriguing. <laughs> it certainly is irritatingly intriguing. But Ramjet and Dirge are um, talking to Gaikany and insisting that Megatron should be getting his share because he thinks Gaikany is skimming Energon off the top of Megatron's share. So this yeah, is intriguing. Megatron is apparently doing deals with people in space. <laughs> no, no, no. He's just on Earth collecting energy on Earth because if he's doing that in space as well, and he's got access to space. There is no re. Oh, shut up! <laughs> There's no reason for him to stay on Earth. Just don't... yes, he's he's doing deals in space. It's fine. Good. Well done, Megatron. You're a yeah. star. Uh, of course, Dirge and Ramjet spot the uh, the tickets for the battle with the Autobots that are coming up, so they decide they're going to stay and watch. And uh, Gaikany fixes the fight by giving the Autobots unstable Energon, which apparently will wear off and make them defenceless. Yeah, so they'll fight really tough for a little while. I, this is like uh, horse doping or something, isn't it? Where you give them like a huge uh, hit of uh, of whatever. That, or steroids or, or, or some kind of um, something to, to G them up a bit, obviously, because they're horses, and then it wears off. So it looks like they're doing really well, and he's going to make loads of money from the bets. But as soon as it wears off, they're all going to start losing really badly. So, yeah, so that's that's quite a, yeah, that's quite a true-to-life kind of, well, true-to-life, true-to-fiction kind of thing, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a recognisable uh, trope, certainly. And, of course, the first person into the arena is Optimus Prime, taking on a big Animalian that is definitely not based on the Rancor from Return of the Jedi. Not at all. No. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, Lord. Oh, I, 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 a couple of things I liked about this. I liked that the aliens, because when you see an alien arena with lots of different types of aliens in it, they're normally all different. So they're all different types. But to save money on the animation design, obviously, you've got two or three different types and you've got them dotted around and you can see the same aliens mm. repeated all over the place. That's actually more convincing in a way, even yes. though it's cheaper, because you would get these types and those types over there. Yeah, so it, quite... it, absolutely it is. Um, this is uh, Peter Cullen's first recorded dialogue in the episode. It's basically just him grunting as he's attacked by the... Uh, by the Animalian. He must have loved getting that script. <laughs> yeah. He's doing all right to begin with. And of course, loads of people suddenly decide to bet on the Autobot because he seems to be doing okay. And then uh, the Energon wears off and he's suddenly overcome. And then Inferno I... is shoved in for a, for a double team. I didn't like the way they were betting because they were just literally throwing money at Slizardo. Yes. There was no taking a note of how much is someone's gambled or, you know, it's taking down like who's, Betting what they're just chucking money at him. It's what uh, are the anyway. odds? Um, <laughs> you know, how does yeah. it work? You haven't got the bloke standing around waving his hand, doing all the things that they do at horse races. You know, nothing, yeah. none of that. No, Where's just throwing, throwing energon chips at Slizardo. Uh, but Smokescreen has a plan and he goes outside, transforms, backs up to the door, and fills the arena with smoke. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? How many of Smokescreen's plans involve lots and lots of smoke? Uh, 
Have you noticed that? Uh, yeah, I have noticed. Now you mention it, yeah, <laughs> it's it's odd, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> What's even more odd is that the Decepticons, robots, cough in the smoke. <laughs> But never hey. mind. Uh, Ramjet and Dirge chase Smokescreen down, but uh, Devcon saves him by shooting them out of the sky. And he seems to be pretty impressively uh, armed, Devcon. He's got a gun on his head, a gun on his arm. Yeah. Seems to be like, quite... Yeah, Smokescreen's sort of really battered by the missiles, isn't he? So he, yeah. he really suffers against Ramjet and Dirge. But Devcon takes them out a lot, a lot more easily. He's a lot more effective. He's much more effective, yeah. Um, Ramjet doesn't recognise him, but Dirge knows who Devcon is and decides that they should just get out of there because apparently they know they're no match for Devcon. Devcon's a toughie. Bizarrely, Bosch doesn't know about Decepticons. So he recognises the Autobots, but doesn't recognise the Decepticons. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Smokescreen teases us with the possibility that we might be getting a new character by saying, hey, we could use someone like you on Earth, and DevCon goes, nah. <laughs> so, no, we're not getting a new regular character. Okay, fine. Introduce a new character with a sensible origin story at this point in the series? I don't think so. <laughs> Just turn up. Well, Gaikini and the Decepticons are loading Astro Train with the Energon cubes because they want to make a getaway. Yeah, uh, but Smokescreen, Devcon, and Bosch confront them, and it gets a bit bizarre here because Astro Train, the Autobots are shoved into Astro Train. Astro Train then transforms, apparently with them still inside him. <laughs> yeah. Although later on during the battle sequence, the Autobots are suddenly just standing behind him again. So, yeah, I thought the Autobots missed an opportunity as well here because rather than sneak up on the Decepticons in any way, they just walk right up to them like a big bunch of dumbos and say, give us the energy on Ramjet. They could have just... Shot, uh, Ramjet's reply is great, though. He says, how about some laser beams instead? They could have just shot them, honestly. But they could have done, yeah. And Wenders walking up to the bad guy and saying, give us the energy on. Are they really going to go, oh, yeah, okay, fine. Sorry, you got us. <laughs> Fair cop, Gov. Yeah, there you go. You can take that energy on. We're all good. And Astro yeah. Train, oh dear. Astro Train introduces them to his friend. Now, prepare to meet my friend, Mr. Ionic Displacer. <laughs> There's a little theme they introduced earlier because Astro Train's a bit fed up with going back and forth to planets and just doing space shuttle stuff all the time. So he's obviously branching out with a bit of wit, but it's not it's not really working for him, is it? Not so much, no. Although the Ionic Displacer is the actual name given to his weapon on his toy bio, so you know they are paying attention. I'd love to see um, it. Love to see it. But uh, to get the Autobots away and win the day, Smokescreen has a plan. Can you guess what that plan might be? <laughs> hmm. Well, is Smokescreen? What has he done uh, about five times? Episodes we've seen him. Oh, he's going to smoke him out, isn't he? Yep. He. <laughs> Surrounds them with smoke, and uh, they just decide, "Oh, stuff it, let's go." So Astro Train transforms, Dirge Ramjet, and Lord Gaikani get aboard him, and he flies off. Yeah, Devcon yeah. in hot pursuit with Slizardo as his partner. <laughs> yeah, Slizardo suddenly decides to join Devcon. Yeah, Devcon well, turns into a school, a cool spaceship though. Yes, he certainly does. And he's going to stop the Decepticons no matter the cost. Evidently, he fails because all three of those Decepticons turn up again later, apparently unscathed. 
Although what happens to Lord Gaikany is a <laughs> complete mystery. It is a complete mystery. I, I should point out, Astra Train says the words, we're moving out at 19 minutes and 53 seconds. Ting. Ah, thank you. I knew I could Very rely important. on you for the timing. Thank you. <laughs> so the Autobots are returned to normal. Their will is restored somehow, even though the things that Bosch said would restore their free will on the big spaceship that he left behind right at the beginning of the episode. But uh, never mind. Um, but Smokescreen assures them that, okay, the last thing they remember is Bosch capturing them and trying to sell them. But uh, don't worry, he's actually a friend. Um, yeah, he's their pal. Well, uh, he's bonded with Smokescreen over poor gambling decisions, and now they're great friends. Yes, but they decide they're going to head back to Earth. Bosch is going to take the Autobots back to Earth because their toy spaceship is, frankly, rubbish. Um, <laughs> true. But... They decide that they've got no energy on and there's a casino over there and the corrupt Lord Gaikany has gone. So what do you think? Some R&R? And Optimus Prime goes, yeah, why not? Why not, Optimus? Because it's deeply immoral? Because you're cheating? Because you're going to get stuffed when you lose at gambling? I, I can think of a thousand reasons why not Prime. Oh. But Bosch advises Smokescreen to leave the gambling to him. So... <laughs> Yeah, well, maybe Bosch is actually better at it. Oh, my word. Well, he certainly seemed to know when to quit. It was Smokescreen not doing that that led to the problem in the first place. So Exactly, yeah, yeah. If Smokescreen hadn't done that last bet, they could have gone, the, gone with the energy on they had, re-energised Bosch's ship, given him back the Autobots and been on their merry way, but no. <laughs> well, they had a little bit more fun with the Animalians, whoever they are. Yeah, Absolutely. But that is the end of the episode. So the Autobots are still not back at Earth, but they've been promised a lift. Yeah. So, you know, the bit, there's a bit at the end when they uh, reawaken Prime and Inferno and Bumblebee from their sort of like uh, their slavery. And Prime says, I can't remember anything. Well, that's also generally true for me because I've watched this uh, basically three times since I got the DVD set, once on a watch through, once for this, and once again to actually watch it but i just i've I, i've fallen asleep during this episode twice it's not a very <laughs> long episode but oh my word oh I, my I, word i don't think it could be described as a classic no uh, it is I it think... lifts out of the narrative completely because it's not set on earth it has nothing to do with the ongoing business on earth at all um you can you can dispense with it quite happily well, um, except there's lots of interesting lore and backstory if you look into it in detail, isn't there? But yeah, this is the point where we are introduced to the idea of alien civilizations besides the Transformers from beyond the solar system. We met people from Titan, but that's still within the solar system. So yeah, but this is the first alien civilizations, alien civilizations that know of the Transformers, yeah. alien civilizations that use Energon. Yeah. And so, yeah, so this is kind of the start of, whether intentionally or otherwise, the start of the wider universe of Transformers in some respects. Yeah, sort of expanding out into space, which may or may not be a good thing. We shall see. Whether it's a good thing or not, it's certainly a thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's here to say, they're here to say in space with their spaceship Transformers that can take them into space, Cosmos and Astro Trade. Absolutely. So, who yeah. was your man of the match then, Steve? Uh, my man of the match is probably the same as your man of the match. My man of the match is Devcon. 
And the reason is that the man of the match is because he saves the day by winning over Slizardo, because that's the actual turning point. And it's actually, I love it when this happens. It's probably completely inverted because this script is absolute bobbins. But <laughs> it's probably inverted because he does a good thing and a moral act and he is rewarded for it. Whereas Smokescreen doing gambling and stuff just ends him in trouble when you actually save someone, take the time to save someone, it reflects back on you and good things happen to you. So, yeah, well done, DevCon. Did you have any similar thoughts? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that's one of them. DevCon is my man of the match as well. And I also like the character of DevCon because uh, it introduces a wider pantheon of characters. Not all Autobots are on the same team. Um, he's clearly, I mean, he's a... They call him a bounty hunter at some point. Um, yeah. So he's clearly not taking orders from Optimus Prime. You know, he's not on that on that team. Uh, and he seems like a pretty powerful Autobot. So as Smokescreen said, they probably could use him. That being said, I mean, if he is a bounty hunter, he must know that loads of Decepticons are on Earth. So why isn't he going down to Earth to get any of them? Uh, well, that's one of the things about this script is just not, nothing's thought through. Like, even the little details, like, why has he got the gambling machine? What is going on? Why is this place drawn with tarmac? Not with tarmac, but with rocks and with sand, not with sand, but with rocks. Why does nothing follow on from the next? There are, it's so, it's so awful. And I can tell that after, sorry, I, I, he's never going to listen to this. It's fine. After <laughs> his experience on Challenge of the GoBots, he was probably all like, no, you're not rewriting a single line of my perfect script. And it, oh my God, it needed it. It could have done with a bit of a. It could have done with a bit more explaining how it fitted in with the wider story that we've been telling up to this point, which is basically the Autobots and Decepticons left Cybertron four million years ago and landed on Earth. Yeah. <laughs> What's this got to do with any of it? I when when did Megatron make contact with Monarchus and Gaikani? Mm. If it had been like they land on a planet and they're forced to fight in the Gladiator ring kind of stuff, that would have been cool. Or if Which it was I just think them, is what happened in the GoBots episode. Yeah, or if it was just them gambling or just one element of it, I think it'd be quite cool. But they do a couple of different things, and it's just like, oh, I don't know, nothing follows on from the next, and it's all... Uh, I didn't like this one at all, and I'm normally very upbeat about even the silliest <laughs> episodes, so... Oh, dear. Ah, uh, well, if you're upbeat about the silliest episodes, I'm sure you'll have plenty to say about the next one. So our next episode and this uh, fantastic double bill is famous, infamous, classic, terrible. It, I've heard it described as all of those things. It is certainly one that you remember the title of. You do indeed. It has an exclamation mark in it, for one thing. <laughs> Written by David Wise, we are, of course, talking about Kremzik! Kremzik! Okay, now everyone's turned off now. I mean, like, our six listeners have gone. <laughs> Every time we say Kremzy, we lose one of our six listeners. We'll be, we've got, like, three left. <laughs> In preparation for this, I watched Day of the Machines. Now, that's not the Transformers Day of the Machines. That's the He-Man Day of the Machines, which is the episode written by David Wise that has bits from about three different Transformers episodes in it. So it's got, from the start of... 
Oh, desertion. I'm going to say desertion of the Dinobots. I might be wrong. Desertion of the Dinobots, where they're flying that plane around and they're doing that. Man at Arms is doing some drone flying and then it gets taken over and it crashes into the castle. So that's from that episode. You've got a Kremzeek style. Skeletor sends a Kremzeek style character which blasts along a laser beam straight to uh, Eter- Castle Eternia. What's that castle called? Uh, the Palace of Eternia. The Palace of Eternia, yeah. So, so you've got a Kremzeek like character in there. Then you've got all the machines going wild, like in Day of the Machines and the Transformers, and uh, He-Man has to beat up the attack track. Attack track's very sorry about that. And then you've got, um, the other one is microbots. So they all get shrunk down to go inside the machines, and they they turn off the modulation on their voice, so they sound really weird. So yeah, so it's got, it's, I, what, what, I thought it would be just like rehashed old ideas, but actually when you put all four of them in an episode together, I thought it was really fun. <laughs> and it wasn't like, if I'd have watched it, I'd have said, this is a bit like an episode of Transformers, but I wouldn't have picked it up if I hadn't have known. So, Well, it, we, we, we may point out that the episode of He-Man came before the Transformers episodes. Ah, yes. So actually it's not four episodes mashed together. It's one episode ripped apart and spread across <laughs> the series. Yeah, which bit have we got this time? Well, this time we've got Megatron uh, working on some electrodes for the Decepticon's new energy magnet. Starscream is complaining that Megatron is taking too long and isn't he done yet and we need it. Yeah, I, I'm going to stop you immediately because there is one wonderful bit of animation in this really early on where you see Megatron's eyes close up and you see the reflection of him working on his little electric prongs. And I thought that, that's, that was so cool. Uh, things don't continue in that vein, but that was a cool bit. So hold on. No, to that. they don't. The animation quality in this episode is generally pretty awful. <laughs> um, but never mind, because it doesn't take long before we find out why the episode is called Crimzeek. Because there's a big flash and a little tiny energy being thing appears and starts leaping around, going. Oh yeah, it's a little. It's a little I've got an energy, energy zap creature. It's got a little devil face. It's got sharp little teeth for some reason. Yeah, and this this creature is suddenly like he's a real menace right off the bat, isn't he? Oh yeah, he immediately leaps onto their computer console, chews a big hole in it, and disappears inside, and causes it to go completely mad. Yeah, you get a very 1985 Atari uh, Atari system sound effect with a sort of sound, which I recognise from the uh, Atari computer games I used to play at the game. It's just, I just got a little buzz of nostalgia when I heard that. <laughs> well, most of the time when Kremzeek is flying around, all you can hear is the lightsaber duel sound effects from the first Star Wars movie. Yeah, yeah, they, of course. They are everywhere in this episode. <laughs> it's just non-stop whenever he's on the screen is that noise. Um, Megatron seems unusually impressed considering the damage this little thing is causing. Uh, but he thinks that Kremzeek will make an effective weapon against the Autobots. Now, why why isn't Kremzeek attacking the Decepticons, just their computers? Uh, it, it's a newborn Kremzeek. It doesn't know much about the world yet, but it's it's well up for attacking anything electrical. Yeah, but and it, Megatron it sits on Megatron's finger and looks quite cute, really. <laughs> um, oh, don't you start! It's not cute, Jason. It's not cute. It's <laughs> But we do see one of its early one of its abilities early in that it can disappear through a camera or a screen and end up at the other end 
wherever that camera or screen is pointing. It just yeah, it travels down, the, travels down the radio waves. He does. Like in a David Bowie song. He does. What he doesn't do is do anything quietly as he's constantly <laughs> shouting his name. <laughs> is he the first Pokemon? Well, yeah, the Pokemon thing is very much on your mind. But then we've had Pokemon for quite a long time now, and we've all got used to creatures that just say their name over and over and over and over, don't you? So yeah. we've had Pikachu and Bulbasaur and some other Pokemon. <laughs> I'm don't sure ask me, I know nothing about Pokemon. Oh, um, oh, well, there's another series we can do. So, yeah. But... <laughs> Uh, but also... And of course, he does it in different ways depending on uh, what he's doing. So, when Megatron opens a strange little box, he goes Kremzik. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, this go- this box is blatantly a Ghostbuster trap, isn't it? Yeah, it's conveniently he has a box that's exactly the right size to incarcerate Kremzik for a little while. So, apparently, Megatron knew what he was doing when he created this creature somehow. But we- we don't bother to ask how it happened, and I think that's probably a wise move on the part of this script because any explanation you could give as to why this thing and how this thing was created just wouldn't work. It wouldn't if add you, anything. If you asked for an explanation, you would get a one-word response. Jason, what is that word? Kremzik! Why is this happening? Kremzik! 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 Now, Megatron at this point delivers quite a burn really oh yeah yeah because starscream is standing right there and megatron calls thrust to take him to autobot headquarters (laughs) (laughs) oh oh starscream can fly starscream turns into a jet why is he calling thrust (laughs) he's not short of jet options is he though really no, but uh, when one is standing right next to you, to call another one from a whole different room is just, oh, that is just rude. Yeah, that's unbelievable, isn't it? Well, maybe it's because uh, Thruster's got a nice window for him to look out of. You just need yeah. that to in the cockpit. Oh, God, yeah. Where is Megatron sitting inside Thrust? Because we see an interior view. Megatron is riding in Thrust, who's looking very chunky because the animation is terrible. <laughs> and he's got a big porthole next to him. That's nothing like the canopy that thrust has where is he where is he and he just basically flies to autobot headquarters to drop the box containing kremzik at the entrance yeah i like the anima- the animation of him dropping the box as well is also sort of like hmm because if you watch where thrust goes there's the entrance to the ark and we know that the ark is buried in the mountain thrust flies over the entrance and straight over the entrance so how has he not crashed into mount st helens i don't know well yeah <coughs> <laughs> Well, Teletran 1 reports an intruder, and Optimus Prime is somewhat bemused because there's a sparking, jumping box at the door. (laughs) That can't be good. That can't be good. It soon breaks open, and Kremzik goes on a rampage. And then we get a bit that I had to watch a couple of times to be sure that I'd seen this right, because uh, he runs into Jazz, Hoist, and Smokescreen in the corridor. A smokescreen's the main character of the show, don't you know? And Jazz has completely the wrong voice. Yeah. Yeah, he, he does. He sounds more like Prowl. It's... But he certainly isn't Jazz in the voice, even though the animation shows it as Jazz. 
And it's not one to get wrong because Jazz has a distinctive look and he also has the one of the best voices, one yep. of the best voice actors. So it's it's very annoying that they get the voice wrong for Jazz. It's incredibly annoying, but Kremsey zaps all of the Autobots and they go a bit crazy. They pirouette, crash, do weird dances, fall over. Yeah, pirouette seems to be the main one, actually. They seem to spin around a lot when they get attacked by Kremzeek. Yeah, Sparkplug tries to grab him, but gets zapped because Kremzeek is apparently electrical. Um, yeah, Smokescreen tries to hold off Kremzeek with what appears to be a wooden table in the arc that they yes. have. <laughs> um, which is fine. Maybe they're starting to use wood now. I don't know. Maybe they are, but Sparkplug has made a realisation and dashes off. Uh, meanwhile, Smokescreen is zapped by Kremzeek that makes him sort of transform, half transform, transform, drive around as a car and chuck out loads of smoke. <laughs> and then a door opens, at which point Ratchet, Huffer, Beachcomber and Jazz again... <laughs> walk into the room it's jazz again <laughs> and they also get zapped by Kremzeek Sparkplug conveniently has an insulating compound in a pressurised thing with a hose on it and he sprays Optimus Prime doesn't tell Optimus Prime what he's doing first so Optimus is a, a little bit annoyed <laughs> this is no time for a practical joke Sparkplug what, you know. what joke I'm saving you yeah. Hey? <laughs> it's not like Inferno will spray you with foam for the merest reason. You say you're a bit warm or something, and suddenly Inferno's there, he's going, shh. But anyway, they're probably all used to it. Yeah, but it does turn out to work. Um, Kremzeek just bounces off Optimus Prime. Uh, and so he says, we must coat the remaining Autobots. And it turns out that that's basically Blaster, Inferno, and Bumblebee. <laughs> That's all they've got left. That's Everyone. all they've got left. And it makes a nice change for Inferno to be the one being hosed down this time. <laughs> That'll show him. Yeah, these those are the only Autobots who, who signed on to be or in this episode. Everybody else agreed to be out. Yeah. The voice weirdness continues. Blaster's voice is massively overmodulated in this episode. Yeah, it's I, it's very difficult, isn't it? It's he, he's he's because he's normally quite sort of like, but he's very uh, okay. I didn't describe that at all well. <laughs> he's very well processed in this, and it is sometimes yeah. hard to understand what he's saying. Um, now, this is not an episode where Optimus Prime's leadership and tactical skills come to the fore <laughs> because they stand there and they've been coated, and they go, "Oh, that's nice. We're all safe now." At least we've still got. Oh crap! Teletram one, and of course, at that precise moment, Kremzy zaps Teletram one. Ah, uh, Teletran one again, another long-suffering Transformer person. So you know he's been blown up by Dinobots. He's had all kinds of stuff happen to him, but now he's been taken over by this Kremzy. I forgot his name. <laughs> <laughs> How did you forget his name? He says it a million times. So as we take it over by Kremsey, he starts spouting gibberish. And it's very interesting gibberish. Yes, it is indeed. I didn't note down what it was, but it was very intriguing. Yeah. Something like Martian Flengos have taken over and they want the world's ammonia or something like that. <laughs> I'll have to get a clip in. Alert! Alert! Evil Martian Flengos have invaded supermarkets across the planet. They have come to steal Earth's ammonia. And the, the military have intercepted this and are confused, which is understandable. Uh, yeah. oh, got... one zapped, and before he gets zapped, uh, Kremzeek rides Sky Spy's transmission to another location. 
which just happens to be, for some reason, a beach in Japan. Ah, yes. Very nice. And also, I, I, I always like it when they do a bit of globe trotting. I'm not so keen on the universe trotting, but the globe trotting, I'm quite keen on because it gives them, a, you know, just, as we said, adds a bit of texture to it. So that's good. It does a little bit, yes. So uh, the Decepticons have realised that the Autobot transmissions have now ceased. So Megatron reckons that Kremzeek must have blown the bits out of them and decides it's time to deploy the energy magnet. Uh, yeah, um, I wonder what that um, uh, does. Who knows? It's a mystery. <laughs> now, the globe trotting is a little bit easier these days because, of course, they have Omega Supreme. Oh, oh, you know, you know who's crying in the corner? Skyfire. Cosmos. <laughs> Skyfire. <Cosmos>. Skyfire and <laughs> Cosmos. Giving each other a bit of sympathy. Yeah. And they, the, so the remaining Autobots ride Omega Supreme to Japan, leaving Sparkplug behind to reactivate all the other Autobots. I, <laughs> well, he, he repaired 200 cars the other week. Or was it 2,000? It was a lot of cars. A couple of hundred cars, A couple yeah. of hundred cars last week. So reactivating the... Yeah, just leave Sparkplug to do it. We don't have any of our own mechanics. We don't have Hoist or Grapple or anyone. Oh, they all got zapped, didn't they? So yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, they ride Omega Supreme to Japan, and we see a startled fisherman on the beach who looks agape as Omega Supreme lands, and then promptly disappears from the narrative entirely. We don't see him again at all. Uh, for some reason, Kremzik is still on the beach. Yeah, he seems to be sunning himself, doesn't he? He's just relaxing on the beach. Just chilling out on the beach. Hasn't gone for all the bright lights of the city just yet, even though it must have taken yeah. Omega Supreme some time to arrive at Japan. Yeah. Uh, hasn't, he, hasn't he even said Kremzik? No, he hasn't. But Prime, again, shows a complete lack of strategy here because they suddenly realise they stand there for a while while Kremzik bounces between them, and then they realise that they forgot to do something rather important. Yeah. Who do, they forgot to insulate Omega Supreme, which is, oh no, kind of situation. Yeah, so Optimus Prime, the great leader of the Autobots, has failed to protect his biggest asset. He's got a big heart. He's not got a big brain. Apparently not, no. <laughs> and Omega is, he orders Omega to blast off, but Kremzik catches up with him and he crashes back on the beach. Yeah, and he does that sort of pirouette kind of spin as well as he crashes back down onto the beach. Yes, very badly animated pirouette spin. He turns into what looks like a giant ice cream cone. Terrible, terrible, terrible. And then, Kremzik spots something. What does he spot? Choo-choo! So it's not just Kremzik, you can also say choo-choo. He gets one other word, I think he gets a no-no later on. But yeah, we get a choo-choo here. So he's he's like a little baby. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. So he jumps into a train. Yeah, this train goes absolutely crazy. It turns into a sort of snaky kind of train. <laughs> all the carriages spin it. You know, they go in all at odd angles, like a, like it's made out of rubber or something. Completely. Yeah, the, it goes haywire. And yeah, the animation just shows it going all wibbly wobbly, which is just <laughs> so, so bizarre. <laughs> The bizarreness continues because Optimus Prime transforms to chase the train along the tracks, which in itself is not bizarre, but for some reason all the others have to grab on. <laughs> Rather than, you know, get inside his cab or his trailer, they grab on. <laughs> so, yeah, so they're all hanging on to this side while he goes on. And on two separate occasions, the train comes to a stop and Optimus Prime crashes into the rear of the train. <laughs> what is he doing? <laughs> 
What is he doing? No, he admits he hasn't got a plan because, you know, who's had time to think of a plan? <laughs> uh, but we do get the, uh, yeah, the, cra the crash is, is preceded by a, a classic comedy bit, isn't it? With faster, yeah. Prime, faster. Then they round the corner and see that it's stopped. Slower, Prime, slower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kremzik's also annoying the guard on the train this well, uh, as well at this moment. And the guard's got this little moustache. He's a bit, I, I don't know, he looks a bit sort of like uh, Walter Softy or something. Yeah, he's, uh, that's the only person we see on this train. Fortunately, I mean, look, it's terrifying. At least while it's moving. Yeah. But now we cut away to the sea. And a yeah. huge tower with a big spiky ball on the top emerges. And at the top is a control room. Megatron and Starscream walk in and Starscream calls it a sea scraper. <laughs> Hang on. No, that's not right. Well, no, it's not. It's not scraping. The, it's not. It's, it's a skyscraper. It just happens to be in the sea. You can't call it a sea scraper because it's in the water. That's silly. <laughs> but then Mega, it gets even sillier because Megatron says, "Oh, well, it's ready. Let's test it out." And they turn around and walk back out of the control room again. <laughs> and again with the animation, they're kicking up their heels remarkably high as they walk. <laughs> <laughs> I, I again, this is a. Uh... All playing into my theory that Megatron is just having his best life. The train reaches Tokyo and stops and Kremzik goes flying out. None of the passengers that disembark seem to be the slightest bit bothered by their really rather alarming train ride they've just had, where their train turned into a rubber snaky thing, wibbling up and down. But never <laughs> yeah, mind. They, they the, guard, though, them yeah. the guard, though, gets out, runs into somebody who hits, her with, hits him with her handbag. <laughs> so it's, it's not his yes. day. But then we get to see the guy who has a Walkman. Yes, actually a Walkman. It's written on the side. It's a Walkman. And uh, for, for any of you young people listening, this was a primitive piece of technology we used to have with actual magnetic tape cassettes in it. That sound wave, the sort of thing that Soundwave turned into. <laughs> yeah. It's not a Transformer either. It's just he's got a Walkman. He has um, got a Walkman. I had a Walkman. Did you have a Walkman? Oh, I had the, I, and it's a bit of a classic actually, the yellow Sony Walkman, which had like these rubber bits. So it had a rubber seal around it and a rubber seal, sort of a fun rubber seal. I think it was waterproof probably. But uh, yeah, and oh my, I got so much out of my Sony Walkman. Did you have a lot? You had your Walkman? I, I had a Walkman, which was an absolute godsend during school trips. Um, in particular, <laughs> Um, the German exchange trip that we did, uh, where I went to stay with a German family and, uh, the student that I was sharing accommodation with snored horrendously. <laughs> so every night I would pop the headphones on and listen to something just to block out that horrible sound so that I could actually stand a chance of going to sleep. Oh my word. Yeah. So I, and it's not, it's not even helping you with your German, is it? That snoring? Cause you don't nope. snore in German. Not at all. And I still remember vividly that I was listening there to, I'd recorded these off the telly using an old tape recorder. It was the soundtracks to the Doctor Who stories, Attack of the Cybermen and Resurrection of the Daleks. Oh, wow. Oh, That's cool. what I was listening to, to avoid the snoring. I remember it distinctly. High action. That must. Ah, yes. I'll have to quiz you about that another time. <laughs> anyway, back to Transformers. This Walkman, Kremzik attacks the Walkman and makes one of the earphones flap around weirdly. Yeah. Um, and this and guy... then the guy is so annoyed, he just throws his Walkman onto the platform where he explodes. 
<laughs> yeah, the, I mean, the guy's obviously, he's listening to his music and suddenly his music's all, Kremzik, Kremzik! <laughs> then Kremzik jumps into a video arcade and yeah. proves his amazing powers by jumping into a game and making the things on the screen do things that there is no way they would actually be programmed to do in the game. <laughs> it's a racing game. And the cars crash into each other and blow up. And it's like there is no way that the game was programmed for that to happen. <laughs> it's a very classic outrun kind of game. I, it was cool to see as well. But yeah, it's yeah. it's like this is clearly nonsense. But never mind. Let's go with it anyway. Because he's straight off. He's he doesn't spend long in the arcade. He's straight off to Shibuya Manufacturing. He is indeed. And Prime looks at that and goes, "Oh, talk about a bull in a china shop." And I had to laugh at this point because for several years now I can't hear that phrase without thinking of the Mythbusters episode where they tested the term bull in a china shop and found it was not entirely accurate. Okay, how does the bull behave in a china shop? If you haven't seen this episode, I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. Look it up. It's absolutely hilarious. They set up a bunch of shelves in the bull ring. Uh, they made them out of lightweight polystyrene so they wouldn't harm the bulls. And they covered oh, yeah. the shelves with china. Yep. And they let a bull in expecting absolute carnage, as you yep. would. And it trotted merrily up and down between the shelves. <laughs> they put two bulls in there. And I think one thing got swiped by a tail and knocked off, but that was it. <laughs> <laughs> and they, at one point, they, I think they went to three bulls. And they, they were just trotting up and down and not knocking anything over at all. It was hilarious. <laughs> so bull in a awesome. china shop, busted. Silly phrase, don't don't use it. Yeah, prime. <laughs> Are you going to tell him? I'm not going to tell him. No, although in this case, this particular china shop is actually apparently a television manufacturing shop and the televisions appear to be made of explodium. I, I thought they were microwaves. Were they televisions or microwaves? Oh, I think they were televisions. Okay, they were televisions. Yeah, but they oh, Kremzik basically goes into each one and then they explode. They explode. Very dramatically. Because, because everything explodes in these cartoons. Even things that aren't actually explosive explode <laughs> in these cartoons. Uh, at which point the Autobots meet a somewhat agitated Dr. Soji Yoshikawa. Primax, Prime's really deferential to this uh, Soji Yoshikawa. And it's like, he's really like, oh, I... I really sorry about this guy in your shop who's blowing everything up um we're going to try and do something about it fortunately soji is exactly the right person on for the case he's great it's Soji soji yosikawa what a, what a genius he suggests that radio waves might work yeah and radio waves are blasters speciality he just says tune me to the right frequency and he opens up his chest compartment <laughs> And this is interesting because, of course, at this point, we haven't seen Blaster rejecting any cassettes like Soundwave does. Oh, no. So at this point, it's not entirely incongruous that he opens up his chest and there isn't anywhere for cassettes to go, just a lot of buttons and controls. Bizarrely, though, what is bizarre is that Yoshikawa knows how to program Blaster that he's only just met. Yes. And his chest doesn't open the way you want it to open. It opens sideways. So it's on a hinge on a panel coming sideways rather than down from the top, which is what you expect from a tape player. Uh, yeah. That bugs me. Anyway, yeah. yes, but yeah, well, so he's, he's, he does a Carly. Yeah, he does a Carly. Open, <laughs> Although Blaster at least opens himself up. It wasn't just, <laughs> oh, well, never mind, I'll do that. Um, 
And then there's a strange cut directly to him in stereo mode emitting radio waves, which, of course, being a cartoon of visible radio waves. But we haven't seen him transform. They didn't. They had a weird sort of jump cut from him being standing up, being a robot, being retuned to being a stereo on the floor. Fine. Yeah. Very odd. But uh, Kremzik gets another. As he goes, no, no, no. <laughs> and strides into Blaster, just walks straight into him. Now, wasn't Blaster insulated against that? Uh, well, uh, no, I've no idea. <laughs> I, I was going to say maybe because he opened the chest up, he could go inside through the, uh, yeah, but whatever. Yeah, maybe but he, broke the, he broke the seal. Broke he the broke the seal. seal. Broke the seal. Kremzik can get in. Yeah. Well, Blaster thinks that's great because he can fry him with his own energy. And Yoshikawa says, no, 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 bad idea. You'll just make him stronger. Yeah, and but it's worse so, than that. It's worse than that. A whole that. bunch of different coloured Kremzik's burst out of Blaster. Yeah, so they've gone from one Kremzik to hundreds, and Prime gets a really... Uh, he is so fed up by this point, he gets an absolute belter of a line. Oh, here comes that sinking feeling. And all these Kremzeeks are flying around causing chaos in Tokyo, and Prime theorises maybe a large energy source would draw them back together and reunite them. Which sounds, you know, yeah, let's, let's get us one Kremzik to deal with, that's going to be much better. Yeah, get them all in one place. It's a good idea, yep. Yeah. Decepticons are testing their energy magnet. What do you think the energy magnet does, Steve? Uh, it's a very large magnet that takes up a lot of energy to attract large bits of metal towards it. Oh, you were so close. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other way around, isn't it? It's a large magnet that sucks up lots of energy. It certainly is, yes. They, pass, they target a passing warship and drain it of all power. Oops. Somehow. Yep. Back in Japan, the Autobots have prepared a tower that will be energised to merge all the Kremzeeks together. And one of them, they're all hopping towards it, all happy. Kremzeek, Kremzeek! One yep. of them pops inside Blaster again. Yeah, Just little something. Can you miss there. it? There it yep. is. Um, and they all of them, they all go inside, and they do indeed all merge into one. But Prime has overlooked something. Yeah, because they merge into a huge Kremzeek. <laughs> Kremzeek. Kremzeek. <laughs> Just say that a few more times. Right, we are we are now minus fifty listeners, so we're doing very well. <laughs> yeah, Prime is not doing very well today. No. He has failed to protect Teletran 1. He has failed to protect Omega Supreme. Uh, he's crashed into a train twice. He hasn't thought of a plan. The plan he did think of didn't go well at all. Yep. Japan's in tatters. Yep. Uh, Inferno tries his trick because, you know, Inferno's here. So let's try the uh, the foam and the everything because that's bound to work, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not, well, if they'd brought Smokescreen along, he could have smoked it out, you know. But Inferno <laughs> does his party trick. Uh, but it completely backfires, and Inferno sprays Kremzeek. It all bounces back, and everybody just gets absolutely slathered in foam. Big foam party for the Autobots. Oh, dear. Back at the energy magnet, Megatron wants to run another test. Starscream is very badly animated at this point, because for some reason they've drawn him with a very crude faceplate. He's <laughs> trying out something new. <laughs> it's very, very odd. Megatron wants to run another test. Starscream says, no, no, let's light this candle, which is a nice call out to uh, the American space program. Oh, oh, is that where it's from? 
Yes, that was the that's what Alan Shepard said on his Mercury um, in his Mercury spacecraft while they were waiting to take off. Alan Shepard was the first American in space, and uh, he was strapped into his Mercury spacecraft. And they kept on talking about tests and making sure everything was working properly. And eventually, he just said, "Just light this candle." Yeah. And did he come back alive? He did. Well, there we go. It's a good idea then. He did. He did a fifteen-minute suborbital hop. Superb. Well done. So yes, Freedom Seven, the first American space flight. So he turns on the energy magnet, and the whole world's energy starts to be sucked into this thing, and everyone starts. All the lights go out. Even Kremzik loses energy. The Autobots collapse and yeah. crawl this around is, a bit. This is an end game device. This is a, yeah. We haven't had one for a while. A piece of technology that breaks the show if they keep using it. Yeah, so it's if, nice to see that back, that trope back again. Yeah, it's this is it. This is the end of this is the end of everything. Megatron <laughs> has pressed a button and he's got all the world's energy coming into his energy magnet and going to the storage in their undersea batteries. As he uh, yeah, refers to them, it's all he ever wanted. But they realise Bumblebee he's built some kind of energy magnet because there's no other explanation for what's going on. Clearly. I have to say, uh, the some kind of thing where, it, you know, you get in a sci-fi show and they say it's some kind of this or it's some kind of that or some sort of this, particularly bad in Space 1999, is something that Transformers has substantially escaped from. Because uh, I've got a very strong some kind of radar, particularly after watching the whole of Space 1999. And I, I, every time they said it, I just said, ting! Um, <laughs> But yeah, this is this is. I think this is one of the rare occasions that it turns up on this show. So yeah, but it is an energy magnet, and it is sucking up a lot of energy. But also, oh, maybe there's some kind of solution here. Yeah, because Blaster thinks, well, why don't we let the Decepticons deal with Kremzik if we blast him along the magnet and straight to Decepticon headquarters? And Prime yep. says, oh, Blaster, you finally came up with a plan. <laughs> Hang on, <laughs> Prime. No prime. That is bad leadership. <laughs> terrible. Not only, terrible. Terrible. Not only has Blaster come up with a good plan, not only is it a plan you're about to do, but you're also berating him for doing something that you should have done yourself. I'm very disappointed yeah. in you, Prime. Anyway. Well, you know, Prime's first plan didn't really work, did it? It just no. unleashed a larger monster onto the city. But they do manage to lure Kremzik to a radio tower, and at which point he is zapped across the uh, sky to the energy magnet. Yeah, that's it. And that's bad news for the energy magnet. It is. The top of the energy magnet blows up and Megatron doesn't call a retreat so much as shout, Escape! <laughs> yes, at 19 minutes and 18 seconds. <laughs> Makes good his escape at that point. Now, it's a very colourful... Actually, two good explosions in this episode. It's a very colourful explosion where the energy magnet goes up. I like that. Yes, yeah. And then Kremzik is on the top of the energy magnet, chewing on it, <laughs> chucking great handfuls of it into his mouth. Um, and, of course, because uh, no nothing sticks in Transformers, turning off the energy magnet somehow makes all the other energy just return to the Earth. I Yes. Yes, actually. Well, if, they're gener if you've got things that are generating energy and it's sucking it out of every source, then the things that are generating energy is still generating and actually no how does it even work does it suck the energy out of waterfalls does it suck the energy out of the molten lava I, is it just electrical oh shut up Stephen. carry on <laughs> exactly 
Meanwhile, the Autobots and Yoshikawa take a hydrofoil out to the energy magnet, and Yoshikawa is tapping away on a calculator. I, I, I just, I, once again, the Autobots are very lucky to know someone who's how to drive a hydrofoil, because Sparkplug can. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yoshikawa was not driving it, so I don't know who is, who is driving it. Who knows? <laughs> uh, but it's got some equipment on board, and it turns out that uh, they could disperse Kremzik. He's made of energy. Energy can't be destroyed. Nice bit of physics there. They're right. Well, they are indeed, but it can be dispersed. Um, and, oh, no, at this point, um, for some reason, suddenly everybody's very kind of, but he's cute, and I don't want to, and, oh. He's a living he's being, like, yeah. I, there is a moral argument for letting Krems... I mean, normally, like previously when they've had this, they blasted their enemies off up into space, so they did that with the Morphobots the other week, but Prime's not up for that this time. Yeah. Freedom is the right of all sentient beings, except this one. Except this... <laughs> He doesn't belong in this world. It has to be done, he says. It has to yeah. be done. And even Prime can't look when he presses the button. <laughs> Covers his face, presses the button, and Kremzik is zapped. Yeah. And he it's disperses. Forever. forever. Kremzik is gone. And Bumblebee is almost crying. <laughs> He's going to be crying a lot more in a minute, I'll tell you. He is indeed, because back on the beach, Yoshikawa says, I'll help you repair Omega Supreme. Okay. <laughs> what, with I, your televisions? With, with what? I mean, how, how does he know how to repair it? Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Blaster says he kind of misses Kremzik. What? What? <laughs> what? I, 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 well, maybe he's just got used to someone saying Kremzik every three seconds. Yeah. Well, it's all right, though, because, of course, there was one Kremzik still inside Blaster that pops out at this point, and yeah. off it goes. And pops out. It destroys all of Japan. It's a total disaster. And so, yeah, at the end of the episode, Kremzik is zipping down the street, and the Autobots are running after it. <laughs> all of them have vehicle modes that go faster than running, but they're running. Never mind. <laughs> but that's it. And we have no idea what happens next. We assume total chaos and half the world is destroyed. Exactly, yeah. Same as the Morphobots the other week. <laughs> <laughs> so, who was your man of the match for this episode, Steve? Kremzik! <laughs> who was your man of the match for this episode, Steve? Oh, uh, oh uh, uh, Blaster. Kremzik! <laughs> no, Blaster. So, uh, Blaster uh, comes up with the plan that Optimus... So, basically, he does the job of Optimus Prime this week and comes up with a plan. He thinks things through. Uh, his voice isn't right, but, you know, you can't win them all. And, yeah, good old Blaster. So, well done, Blaster. Have you got a, a similar thought? Uh, it's uh, Yoshikawa, for me, who uh -huh. suddenly becomes the brains of the outfit since all the scientist Transformers got zapped by Kremzik very early on in the episode because um, he's the one who has all the answers. Try radio waves. Try this. Try, you know... We'll use this convenient. We'll, we'll use this equipment that happens to be on this boat that we haven't seen before, and that yeah. will do the job to disperse Kremzik. But uh, yeah, he's suddenly the brains of the outfit. At the at the risk of upsetting you, I'm going to say he's a very good scientist because he looks at what is happening in front of him and he comes up with a theory about how it can be changed or stopped or interacted with, and then he enacts that theory based on the evidence that he sees before him. And that is, I think that is quite good science. Is it not? 
I yes, I, I cannot disagree with you on that one. Good. <laughs> he is, of course, we know he's a scientist because, of course, he is wearing the white coat. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I thought I'd upset you. <laughs> The white, oh, coat, so the white coat is there but no as a scientist he's actually not bad but he's also the owner of the company isn't he he's, he's clearly the in charge of this automated facility so he's one of these tech guys who then becomes the owner of the company probably isn't he yeah bizarrely he seems to have nobody working for him just a bunch of robots in his basement making televisions that's how everything is in Japan in 1985, isn't it? <laughs> Apparently so. Yeah. Apparently so. But that is the end of that infamous episode. What did you think of that episode, Steve? Oh, I love Crimzeek. <laughs> <laughs> love Crimzeek. What a, what a top laugh. Yeah, it's as you as you said before, put your brain in your pocket and it is it is just just I, I, for some reason, the repeated saying of the word Kremzik doesn't annoy me. Um, and I think I've said this many times before that, that actually when I was, if I'd have watched it age six or seven, I'd probably been quite annoyed with it. But watching it now, it's just like, yeah, that's fun. And having been exposed to Pokemon as well, it's like, that's just, he, he might as well be saying Pikachu. He could have invented <laughs> Pikachu. So, so it was all right. Yeah, how, how have you come to terms with Kremzik? Have you joined the Kremzik wagon, or are you uh, anti-Kremzik? Uh, this is, I mean, Kremzik is annoying as f- <laughs> uh, the character, but this is a very kid-friendly episode, and ultimately this is for kids. Oh, yeah. You know, this is, it's a children's cartoon series. Um, I think a lot of, some of the stuff that's come since, has been informed more by the rather more serious and dramatic aspects of some of these episodes. Um, and I think certainly some of the stuff that's come since has forgotten about the younger audience and the fun that you should be having with this stuff. I mean, yes, we are talking about a series that's based around a four million year old civil war. Yeah. And yes, war is bad and people do questionable moral things in war and yes there is a lot of storytelling potential in what do the good guys do that makes them better than the bad guys in a war but there is also room for ridiculous silly fun like Kremzik and absolutely why not I mean it's just hilarious they're clearly not taking it seriously because you know the 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 thing that sums this episode up for me and how you have to look at this episode is the bit where he gets onto the train because the train becomes a weird rubber snake with a sine wave pattern to it, which is utterly ridiculous. And the thing you could only do on an animated show, you know, it's very kind of Looney Tunes. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, that is, that's a good spot actually. Yeah. It has got that kind of Wiley Coyote kind of feel to it. He's, he's, he's a very, he's a bit of a road runner, isn't he? Cause he keeps getting away with things. Yeah. And, for me, Optimus the, Prime, the yeah. great leader of the Autobots, crashes into the back of a train twice. You know, it's for, for me the 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 comedic highlight is Prime's increasing frustration and irritation, <laughs> leading to a couple of fabulous lines. Because that is the kind of thing that I I just I just love. It's just like oh no. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so I think for for me, I, I, there was one fun episode, fun fun but daft episode. And also the worst episode we've had so far because there were so many problems with it on the way with the gambler. I just didn't, I didn't get it with that at all. Um, 
Any any other thoughts? Yeah, I'm still rating the gambler higher than Enter the Nightbird. So. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Well, we've both got we've both got our bottom of the pile story so far. <laughs> Let's see if there are any challengers coming up next week. We've got Sea Change and Triple Takeover again. I haven't looked at them. I got no. I assume the Triple Changes are in Triple Takeover. What do you think? I'm pretty sure the Triple Changes are in Triple Takeover. The other thing, uh, pointless bit of trivia, but also uh, watch out for a familiar voice in Sea Change. Uh, because the female lead character in that episode, yes, we have another one, uh, is voiced by Melendi Britt, who was the voice of Adora and She-Ra in She-Ra, Princess of Power. Oh, wow. Oh, yes, I will be looking out for that then. Very good. In that case, then, all that remains is to say thank you for listening to Robots in Your Eyes. I've been Jason Thompson, co-hosting with Stephen Alexander. We'll be back next week. But until then... Don't bother with all the tests, just light this candle. That was Robots in Your Eyes. You can find us on Twitter at Robots in Eyes, or you can email us at robotsineyes at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to give us a nice review and comment on the podcast app of your choice. <laughs>